0: Shabbat everybody and welcome to Parashat Ha'Azinu. At the end of last week's Parashah, as Moshe is nearing his very end, Hashem is ready to reveal some important prophecies to our dying hero. Now you might think, maybe God has some uplifting words for Moshe. Maybe a divine pat on the back or some messianic ideas about the eventual future success of the nation. After all, this is Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the man who gave up his royal status in Egypt for Bnei Israel. The man who told God katav, to erase me from the book you have written rather than destroying Ben Israel." However, instead of receiving this good news that we might have expected it's exactly the opposite. Moshe just spent 40 years could you imagine all the way up to his dying breath trying to steer the nation on the right track and now He finds out that his worst fears for the nation are going to come true. It says in the text, Hashem is going to get angry at B'nai Yisrael. I'm going to leave them and I'm going to hide my face from them and they're going to be consumed. They're going to have all these different sufferings. And B'nai Yisrael's reaction is going to be. Basically, we blame God and we say, is it not because God left us? That's why this is happening. And then the next pasuk, I'm going to leave them again. I'm going to hide my face again, says God. So there's a vicious cycle, if you noticed, going on here. We sin, we suffer, we blame God. And God pulls away even further. So now the question arises, how do we escape this toxic pattern, this endless cycle of blaming God and suffering even more? So it's very simple, the Torah says. If B'nai Yisrael simply memorized the Song of Hazinu, this is somehow going to solve all of our problems. What in the world is this talking about? How could it be the one song Ha'azinu is going to solve all these issues? How do we understand this mystery? What is it about the song of Ha'azinu or about song in general that's so protective to our collective soul as a nation? So I recently finished my neurology rotation in the hospital. i am be honest with you. It was a pretty depressing field. I'm I'm pretty glad I went into psychiatry. Half the patients in neurology are you know, really not doing well. Nonverbal. Half conscious, it's a very difficult field, but on the bright side, I was able to learn a lot about the interesting cases within the field of neurology, and there was a famous neurologist named Oliver Sacks who wrote a book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. This was a man with brain damage, a man who had something called visual agnosia. He wasn't able to recognize objects. He wasn't able to recognize different people. So much so that at one point he went to go take his hat and he ended up grabbing at his wife's face. He was a musician, however, and Oliver Sachs realized something brilliant. Maybe if he plays music from his childhood, this will activate some of different parts of his brain and maybe this will help the patient. And of course, it did help him and he was able to recognize more objects than at his baseline. He was able to function a little bit better than he would have functioned otherwise. Another book by Oliver Sacks actually expands on this idea. It's called Musicophilia. It's all about music therapy. For example, you have a a patient with Parkinson's disease, and they're barely able to walk through a door. They get frozen when transitioning from one action to another. But he realized if you play music for the Parkinson's patients, they could kind of get into the rhythm and into the groove of the music, and they could actually keep moving and unfreeze. The same goes for Alzheimer's disease, patients who barely remember anything, but you play them a song and somet- uh, sometimes they're able to remember things about the song and where they were and of course the lyrics, and it's able to improve their memory a lot of times. And the research shows when it comes to which music people respond best to, it's actually a matter of that individual's unique background. In patients with dementia, they found that most patients respond specifically to music from their youth. And one, one neuroscientist explained memories that are associated with music are emotional memories. And these memories never fade out, even in Alzheimer's patients who barely remember anything about their own lives or the people that mean the most to them. But music is the exception. I think this is the key to the question that we raised earlier about the Song of Azino. If I asked any of you To tell me what you remember learning in elementary school, I I think I would get a lot of blank stares. What did you learn in 7th grade math class? But if I asked you to sing me some of the songs that you learned as a child, I think you'd be able to sing almost every single one perfectly. So rote facts and laws are important, but they're subject to being very easily forgotten. But a song never dies. A song takes on a life of its own. It activates the emotional element of a person. Everything we humans do, we do with song. And there's a reason for that. We do with music, with dancing. Storytelling and song go hand in hand. They're a combination as old as time itself. And the hachamim take this idea even further. They say at the end of the parasha, when Moshe is saying you need to teach Bnei Yisrael this song so that we succeed in our future, Hashira Hazot, this song, is not only talking about the song of Azino. it's actually talking about the entire Torah. I think there's a brilliant hidden message in the words of the Hachamim. If we treat the Torah like a dead document, like a book of law and history and nothing more, our people will be as paralyzed as a Parkinson's patient and will be as forgetful as an Alzheimer's patient. But if we bring our traditions to life, if we bring in all of our emotions, if we worship God in song, in ecstasy and in joy, then the Word of God will be forever in our midst. Thank you very much and Shavuot